This presentation is from UX Australia 2018, held in Melbourne. For more presentations, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. Hello, and thank you so much for coming along to this session. And also, if you're listening to the stream or to a recording, uh, welcome as well. My name's Tim Noonan and my Twitter handle is Tim Noonan. If you've got an interest in voice, sound, audio technology, people, technology design, anything that does with uh, spoken and human communication or inclusive design, my Twitter feed has some pretty good stuff there. So you may wish to have a look at that after our session today. Now, one of the great things about uh, doing a session on voice and sound is I've been able to sidestep that horrible job of preparing slides. <laughs> so, so we're slides free. And in fact, other than looking at myself, which you know, you're welcome to do uh, for a little while, um, I actually invite you to close your eyes for some or all of this session and move into a much more auditory focus. It gives you a sense uh, yourself a chance to turn off and rest your visual centers. We sort of move the ears into a relaxed state and that puts us in a better place for more expansive listening rather than uh, some sort of reductive listening where we're looking for a particular thing. This is quite an eclectic session. I've got so much more that I'd love to talk about than I have time for. I mean that's always the case as uh, my partner will tell you. Um, but what that means is that uh, I'm not even sure entirely what things will cover. So there are actually, will be on my website as of early next week, full uh, notes for what I'm covering. So uh, therefore you can close your eyes and not worry about having to take too many notes uh, if, if that's your want. So let me talk a little bit just to give you some foundations around voice uh, user interfaces or voice experience design as I like to think of it because it's a very inclusive and um, uh, a, a very expansive field. There's lots of dimensions in voice user interface design. So first of all, a voice user interface is very different to what many of you will be familiar with, which is a screen reader. A screen reader's job is to interrogate, interrogate what's going on on the computer screen and then to try and translate that into an audio or braille output format. So it's not designed for user experience, it's designed for clarity and detail of information and the user will press hotkeys to find out what they need and so on. And the screener doesn't have any intelligence generally about the data that it's presenting. Does that make sense? It just has to deal with whatever turns up, sometimes poorly. Um, would you like to hear an example of a poor, uh, <laughs> a poor example? This is, this is uh, what, I, what I deal with um, day to day uh, when I'm using screen readers. Um, now, there's a bit of paradox here. Um, this is uh, the handle of Voice Tech Carl on Twitter, and he has an amazing podcast. Um, and I thought I would, which file is it? This is always a, a good start, isn't it, to your presentation. <laughs> um, okay, here we go, listen to this. Carl Robinson, studio microphone, modifier letter capital V, modifier letter small O, modifier letter small capital one, modifier letter small C, modifier letter small A, modifier letter capital T, modifier letter small A, modifier letter small C, modifier letter small H, modifier letter capital key, modifier letter small O, modifier... That's just the handle, we haven't got to the tweet yet. 
<laughs> so what that is, is that uh, it says voice tech Carl, and then it has um, uh, uh, studio microphone as an emoji, and then it has all these Unicode letters, uh, modified letter capital A. And it's actually saying voice tech podcast, and it has V1CE, so not I. And uh, of course, the podcast is all about voice and sound. So I just love the, the, the paradox uh, of that. But I highly recommend his podcast. It, it's great, and his Twitter feed's good as well, as long as you can get past the handle. <laughs> all right. Um, so basically, that's, we've talked about what a screen reader uh, is and does. Um, now, what about um, ARIA? Well, you've obviously got there where the website is providing some extra information so that the screen reader knows uh, how to uh, present the information in terms of, of dials and all that sort of stuff. But again, it's just a middle ground. And an app on an iPhone or an Android device, it has some capabilities as well for being able to um, uh, give you uh, yeah, a, a more tailored audio information situation. But the real message for you is that be very clear that if you're developing a voice experience, then that is very different to having intermediating technology that is, is trying to make sense of what you're doing. So, um, now a, one of the challenges in uh, voice interfaces and voice assistants is some of them uh, start off as a multimodal rather than a voice only environment. And one of, the example of, one of those examples is Twitter, uh, sorry, is uh, Siri. And uh, on the Apple Watch, uh, it's been fixed in the latest beta for WatchOS 5. But um, basically, Siri sometimes is a little cleverer than it should be. And here's what happens when you ask Siri on the Apple Watch what time it is. Hey Siri, what time is it? It's crunch time. No, really, let's do some crunches. So you can all get up and do some crunches if you'd like, <laughs> um, but that fails, doesn't it? You know, it, it, it's a UI that fails because it's. Uh, someone once said, you know, there's a real distinction between smart and being a smart ass, <laughs> and they were talking about about Siri. Now I had to be very careful because you know I could be working for Apple one day or for you know any uh, one who's who's doing voice work. My first ever talk on voice user interfaces was in 1996 at a conference, and Telstra, uh, Westpac had just come out with their latest uh, IVR, and the voicing was really harsh. It was really unfriendly. And I sort of said, look, there's one bank in there, IVR has quite an unfriendly tone, and I didn't specify, but I was sort of pressed in the questions, and I unwisely mentioned who it was and lost quite a couple of work opportunities over the next couple of years <laughs> because of publicly shaming them. So today isn't about uh, attacking modern day voice assistants. In fact, a lot of today isn't about voice assistants. It's about voice experiences that are historical. And some of the things that we learned developing those and that blind people, including myself, uh, contributed to the way we designed them and the sort of features they provided. And uh, sometimes we have to look backwards in order to get a sense of where we are to come. The current voice assistants very much fall into this paradigm of um, call and response. What time is it? When's the next train to so-and-so? Um, but they don't, they're not session-based. They're very sing single transaction-orientated. 
and you have to basically wake them up again as well. The, the examples, the case studies that we're going to look at today, before we get onto a broader discussion around voice and the power of voice to influence and the power of voice to, uh, uh, to create a relationship between people and technology, these uh, uh, interactive voice response telephone services uh, are using not voice recognition as input, which of course is very much the flavour of the month at the moment, but DTMF or touch tone. And while it might, you might be saying to yourself, well, what's the relevance of that? One of the relevances of that is that there are lots of things that you can do with a telephone keypad in terms of command and control of a session, a complicated session. Uh, there's discoverability benefits uh, and other things. Now, I'm not saying this is where we should go back to by any means, but we don't yet know with voice recognition how to have the same level of confidence in that when you issue a statement, a request or a command, that the system is going to definitively do what you want. So let's uh, come over to my notes here and we're going to go to our first case study. Uh, and I'm just going to cover some of the quick themes that we're going to be exploring broadly. Uh, one is that uh, if you're a blind person, Listening is not optional. You have to do it, and you have to do it well, or you're going to fail in life. And that's why for a lot of the people uh, who helped with these products that I'm going to uh, reflect on, uh, we're able to give great insights that we can carry forward to the future of modern voice assistance or custom uh, systems. So um, both, uh, both case studies uh, were designed with close consultation and beta testing by blind users, and they were heavily used by blind users. And you see, when you eat your own dog food, as that stupid expression goes, it really gives you a very clear uh, understanding of like, if it's not going to meet my needs, then it's not good enough. So for me, as the uh, developer of these systems, uh, uh, the pressure was on. Uh, th theme two is that voice output technology has the potential to be so much more than just a string of words. And we're going to hear some examples of different voice synthesizers or text-to-speech uh, engines, as we call them today. Um, and uh, when we do that, I want you to listen and see how they make you feel. How do you relate to them? And what would they be good at and what wouldn't they be good at? There are lots of different uh, speech technologies out there, and some of them uh, have strengths uh, in, in, in yeah, areas, com areas compared to others, which is sort of obvious now that I've stated it. Um, Theme three, um, moving beyond the basic um, call and response, question and answer aspects of uh, uh, voice assistance, um, what's going to come after that? Uh, you know, they need to get a lot more sophisticated. We're at 0.1, if not earlier, in the development of these types of interfaces. And it's experimentation, it's try stuff, see if it works, throw it away. And if you don't have an experimental uh, and a creative approach to uh, developing and prototyping voice applications. If you don't love voice, if you're not really auditorily focused, uh, uh, it's, it's really hard because you can't follow a rule book. There isn't a rule book. Uh, but I will give you a couple of references at the end that will be, will be used to, useful. Case study one. All right, this is called iVote by phone. Now, iVote was uh, an initiative of the New South Wales Electoral Commission and it was the result of a DDA complaint uh, by a blind person who went, 
um, you know, I'm a member of our community and yet I can't vote privately, I can't vote independently and uh, I have to actually tell someone else the way that I want to vote and uh, that isn't good enough. So uh, um, what, what we did was uh, the Electoral Commission decided that they would develop a fully automated service that would allow you to uh, navigate a ballot paper and that's not a simple process, especially if you want to vote below the line uh, <laughs> and at the same time have confidence that your vote is uh, being recorded the way that you wanted and um, uh, that basically was a system that you were going to use once. It wasn't like you used it every day and you got better and better at using it. So what do we do about that? We of course um, provided a practice service. But this is really service design, it wasn't just uh, voice design because we had to create uh, a, a system for registering yourself that was accessible. We had to have an accessible marketing program and when we worked in a world of print, that's not very easy. Um, and uh, we had to also work out ways to have uh, the pronunciation of things like um, candidates' names pronounced correctly because if they weren't pronounced correctly, then people may not know who they were uh, hearing and not vote for the right person. Or what if they were read out with a bit too much emphasis? What if John Howard was more important than someone else? Now, of course, it wasn't a John Howard election, but um, uh, I think you get. So the objective was to have an accessible, independent and secret ballot for blind voters. And we were looking at deafblind as well, and we developed two systems. We, the, the, there was a, an organisation called Everyone Counts, a, a voting company in the US that got the contract to do the actual development, and they were voting experts. Um, and there was uh, a, a small team in Sydney, and uh, a colleague of mine, Judy Birkenhead, came on board. She was uh, an electoral, uh, very experienced electoral official, and she and I were the buddies. You know, like we sat together, we wrote all the script, uh, we did all the what ifs. Um, we, we, you know, she, she brought the uh, electoral expertise and I brought the voice interface and blindness needs expertise and uh, uh, we, we got the product done in time, out of budget. <laughs> um, so if you can't, uh, it, you know, blind people didn't have a vote for a, lot, a long, long time, I don't know what year it is, afterwards you could Google and come and talk to me, if you tell me if you want to, so that next time if I do this talk, I can tell people. But yeah, people who are Aboriginal, people who are women and people who are blind, all marginalised groups in the past, um, uh, it was a lot longer before they were allowed to, to uh, cast their vote and it's only uh, you know, in these times that we've been able to vote accessibly. So, um, maybe we should have a, a little listen to what iVote sounds like. Um, so we'll just bring this up here. What is iVote? Here we go. iVote enables people with disabilities, those who experience difficulties reading, people who live more than 20 kilometres from a polling place, and people who are interstate or overseas to cast their vote by phone or over the internet. So, what do you think of that speech synthesizer? It's not one, <laughs> it's a person. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, basically, uh, what's very important here is that, and what I'm wanting to do in the, today's presentation is to uh, 
expose you to all the different types of ways that we can use voice and input uh, so that you can make decisions when you're designing services or involved in services to know when to use a recorded voice and when to use uh, an artificial voice and so on. And when you might want to use a recorded voice is when you want to do some brand uh, anchoring and have that voice reflect your brand. Um, so we basically, a, a voting session might run for you know, 15 minutes if you were really aware of what you were doing, maybe up to an hour. You know, it takes a long time to use the telephone keypad. So imagine a telephone keypad and you've got your one, two, three, and then your four, five, six, and your seven, eight, nine, five in the middle. And we used basically a bit of the cursor cross concept. So if you think of five as the center point, if you press the key above five, that's two. That would take you up the list of candidates. Pressing eight would take you down the list of candidates. I'll give you an example of that in a session. And when you chose the candidate that you wanted and you wanted to allocate your preference, you press five and you would get, get feedback for, for that process. So, um, um, let me see what. Um, so some of the, the goals and objectives, uh, I guess the requirements of the service, uh, was to support people through, a, to, su to sustain them through a really long and arduous process, uh, but at least it was independent. You know, when I was young, I'd go to the polling place with my mother and my politics were slightly different to hers. <laughs> and I'd go, okay, mum, I had to tell her how I wanted to vote. Would you all like to tell your mum not only how to vote, but ask her to vote that way for you while well, you can't see what she's doing? And you're one, this is no reflection on my mum negatively, of course. Um, but you can imagine that it's not comfortable. Uh, maybe your partner uh, goes with you to the polls and they have different politics. You never know with certainty whether that person's voted the way that you want. So I'm just wanting to bring this back to the human side of it. Now, um, I know that some of you are thinking, electronic voting, I mean, that's really insecure, isn't it? Like that's all we hear about. Right, so let me just get that off the table. First of all, this is about user, user interface. I was responsible for creating a great user interface and not for um, uh, uh, signing off the security of the system. Nevertheless, there was very high auditing uh, of the system. And in particular, one of the distinctions that was very important to us was that there's with electronic voting, this was assisted voting. So it was assisted to allow you to enter your voting preferences. Does that make sense, that first step? The second part is how those votes are tallied and counted and reported. Every vote that was entered into the system was printed. It was printed out with a, a unique ID. And uh, it was counted and marked by a human electoral official uh, and put into the ballot boxes. So uh, it's often the issues around uh, security of electronic voting are in the counting. Uh, and we certainly weren't trying to have electronic voting so much as assisted, supported, independent voting, if that, if that makes sense. So the only way you can support someone through a really complex process is to guide them. It's like you have to have a tour guide. So um, we um, basically worked out that we needed to have two different voices for the service. One was a, a male voice uh, that we used for the candidate names. Um, we used a guy called Lee Perry, and he is the voice used by Lee in one of the uh, traditional uh, speech synthesizers that is in some of the GPS systems. So if you can find Real Speak Lee, then that's the voice. Lee is extraordinary at being able to tell you, say something the same way a million times over. I sat in the studio with Lee uh, and Judy did as well and as he would speak the name I'd go, 
Sorry, can we do that again? I just feel like there's a bit more emphasis on the second. So I was actually, as a professional listener, my job was to make sure that it didn't sound more exciting than the next person. <laughs> and let me tell you, those names sounded so boring. And you're going to hear some of them. Right. So we had a female voice, um, a, a voice that some blind users would have been familiar with because she was used, uh, uh, she was the voice of some of the, tels the uh, Centrelink automation. And uh, her job was to be a blend of a supportive, explanatory person who is going, okay, now here's what you've got to do. To be formal, a bit like an electoral f official, uh, so a bit crisp, so not too yummy. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> she had to be um, encouraging. And when she was reading instructions, as we'll hear in a second, she had to do it in a way that wasn't encouraging people to push buttons before they were ready. You know, you, a voice can be persuasive. You know, if you want this candidate, press five. And then you go, oh, I'll press five. You know, like, so I'm going to see if I can find a recording for us to listen to um, where she, okay, elevating, here's how you allocate a preference. So this is um, uh, another example. In iVote by phone, all candidates are announced in the order of first name and last name. Legislative Assembly. You are now allocating your preferences for the Legislative Assembly ballot. This ballot is for the district of Shell Harbour and contains four candidates which are listed vertically. Now, a few important things there. Which are so we clarify that it's first name and last name, and I'm not sure on the print ballot which way it's... Uh, uh, names are printed. We probably reflected it or maybe we just decided that it was going to be too difficult to naturally pronounce, so I don't recall. Um, now it explained that the candidates are listed vertically because we, as I explained we're using the telephone keypad to simulate moving up and down a ballot or left and uh, right and left uh, across a ballot. Now here's the difference between a voice interface and a visual interface. In a visual interface or a paper interface, who does the navigating? It's your eyes. Your eyes do the walking. They move across and they scan and they look for and target into what it is they're looking for. When you've got a voice interface, it's called a serial interface. So everything comes after, one thing comes after another, after another. So sequencing is paramount. Now, you can't just sort of read the whole ballot paper. What we wanted to do is let people move through it to skip through to where they wanted. So let's have a continue listening. Here. To move down the list of candidates, press 8. Or to move up the list, press 2. When you hear the candidate's name of your choice, press 5 to allocate them a preference. Now, I voice coached every single phrase that uh, Joey Moore uh, uttered in this thing. It drove her crazy, probably. Uh, but that's why you need a professional voice talent if you are uh, doing it, because they need to have thick skins, but also th they can respond to respectful um, uh, guidance on what to emphasise. So you notice how we sort of de-emphasised the five, so it wasn't going to encourage people to push it, push it just then. And, um, and it was also, the, uh, we're pressing five to allocate your preference. Now, normally what we do is we'd say, if you want this, and then tell people what number to press. But in this instance, we did the other way around to make it a bit, uh, 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 flow a bit better. You must allocate at least one preference in this ballot for your vote to count. To repeat these instructions, press star one. To yep. hear the first candidate, press eight. 
Peter Moran, The Greens. To assign this candidate a preference, press 5. To move down to the next candidate... OK, you get the picture, but you get a bit tired. But the thing is, you can key ahead. Key ahead is very important. And key ahead is very difficult with a speech recognition system at the moment because uh, if you're having a side conversation while it's talking, it would, would interrupt and we have, have wake-up words. And I guess the real point I'm making is... Yeah, we, we need to do so much more. We need to have so much more accuracy with speech recognition and we also need to have uh, uh, conventions and ways that you can actually have complex interactions. I can't imagine at the moment how we could have done this system using speech recognition. Other than, you know, your mother shouting in the background, vote for so-and-so, <laughs> you know, in the middle of the thing, <laughs> the system might, might respond. Uh, so, um, so, in this instance, a computer-based voice wouldn't have been adequate. But I did say we had a, a, a web-based service called iVoteByWeb as well. And there we basically had screen reader access. So it was for sighted people who weren't uh, near a polling. The number of people that happened to be in Melbourne on the weekend of the New South Wales election in 2011 was just off the charts because they all declared that they wouldn't be in Sydney so that they could vote online and not have to go to the polling <laughs> places. So it was a, a, a statistical anomaly, I guess you would say. So a second priority was we had to ensure that there was no undue bias, and I've covered that by talking about how we uh, meticulously uh, uh, vetted all of, and we had a voicemail service that uh, candidates could call and they could say, hi, my name's John Smith, and that's how you pronounce it and then we got uh, MP3s of those. And in the studio, if we had that, we would make sure that the candidate name was pronounced correctly. Unfortunately, it was people like John Smith and uh, Will Jones that told us how to pronounce their names and not some of the people with much more interesting uh, uh, names. Um, so uh, we've looked at that. Um, what else? Okay. Uh, so one of the things that we found doing this was that users got tired. So you could save your vote and you could come back to it later. And what you could also do was, if you wanted to, you could vote below the line. Now, I'm not going to belabor this point, but I will just give you a bit of a feel for um, uh, what, that, what, what that's like. No, in fact, I'm going to give you a break from that. I'm going to instead, here we go. Here's how you deal with discovery on a, uh, uh, a DTMF-based system. So this is like, yeah, people need options. What do they need to do? Like you're voting, so you think, gosh, I need a coffee, or wow, you know, this is really you know, giving me the irrits, so I'm gonna go to the bathroom, <laughs> right? So uh, this is the options menu that we provided. So the star key um, was sort of our escape, like a shift key, and then uh, you could do all sorts of things there to sort of move into a different mode in order to get the tasks done that you needed to, to, to achieve. You have entered the options menu. To move to your most recent preference, or to go back one step, press star. To repeat the last spoken message, press one. To pause your voting session for up to five minutes, press two. To clear all your preferences from the current ballot, press three. To set the speaking rate to normal, press four. The voice will sound like this. To set the speaking rate to medium, press 5. The voice will sound like this. To set the speaking rate to fastest,
press six, the voice will sound like this. Guess which one I use. <laughs> so that actually really helps speed up the process. So in fact, on the login process, once you've logged in at say at any time, press star five to increase the speed of the voice. So we sort of uh, uh, gave people a, a, a heads up early on as to what they could do if they if they needed to you know, be able to um, uh, listen at a, at a faster rate. Okay, we. Um, dealt with that so I've, yeah, I'm the sort of person who writes the notes and then goes ah you know I start talking and it's like have I covered what was in the notes I probably should have yeah done that so uh, <laughs> that's just me sort of talking about uh, going out of out of session there for a moment um, so um, and that's why it's a disappointment not having slides because I can't cheat <laughs> um, clearly we had the option to uh, to repeat instructions uh, we've covered reflecting the layout of the ballot paper um, now, we also wanted to instill a sense of certainty and clarity about that what you thought you had done, uh, you actually um, had, had achieved when you were, were, were voting. So, um, we can have a look at this here. Okay. You have chosen to save the Legislative Council ballot above the line. The preferences you have selected are... Preference 1. Group A, Liberal Nationals. Preference 2. Group I, the Greens. To save your ballot, press 1. Now, this is a real um, uh, voting session that wasn't saved um, that I recorded from sort of, and then I sort of chopped bits out. Um, I'm not sure that many people would vote for those two candidates <laughs> in simultaneity, but, but, but nevertheless, um, uh, and uh, it continues that... Oh. Or to change it, press 2. So you can change. You have now completed all ballots for the New South Wales State General Election. To submit these ballots, press 1. Or to review or change any of these ballots, press 2. All of your ballots have now been submitted and your... Okay, so you get the picture. So um, that was iVote by phone. Um, as I said, we had iVote by web as well. Um, it was before ARIA uh, landmarks uh, really existed, but we, they were in um, prototypes. So we used landmarks so you could move between uh, different uh, groups uh, on the ballot paper. And of course, while pronunciation of names wasn't there, the screen reader could tell you by checking the spelling what was there, and it also meant that deafblind people could, could also uh, participate independently if, if, if they wished. Okay, case study two. Any questions or observations on uh, what we covered there? Uh, really, a really good question. Um, so we we were clearly very constrained in the terminology we had to use um, by electoral legislation, which is, is is very precise about what terms are used. Um, we had some capability in terms of the um, uh, instructions to use uh, uh, wording, but nevertheless, everything had to be signed off. Um, 
uh, effectively by the commissioner. Uh, it got sort of duty approval. She goes, that is not going to fly. And I go, but it's much clearer. And she goes, it's not going to fly. Uh, so, uh, and we didn't want to send too much stuff to the commissioner uh, to reject because uh, we wanted to look like, yeah, we were doing a great job. Um, so, um, we, so I, can, I can tell you that we were up till 11 o'clock many nights uh, working on scripting and finessing wording on any voice-based service. That's really where a lot of the energy goes into trying to get the wording as clear as possible, concise as possible, but uh, at the same time, you've got to work within the constraints. So it's probably the best answer I can give. I would have liked it to have been more, um, uh, you know, our job wasn't to create, uh, you know, people who couldn't read, um, if their literacy was low, we, we had to assume that they would hopefully have a reasonable level of auditory literacy, even if they weren't able to read print, print well. So um, thank, thanks for that important question. G'day. Uh, yes. Um, I've got one. It, obviously, it's, it's a single event to, for people to vote, and you'd be pretty anxious up to that point to, to hope it goes well. If it, w what could you do if it didn't go well and get back to people? Was there a process? Right, so um, we, th there was a human service with um, operators that could um, uh, clarify the trouble. This is a 24-hour, seven, seven days a week service. Um, uh, if people, we encouraged people to practice the service, and if they had problems, they could call up and talk to an agent. They could also uh, leave feedback. There was a voicemail service built in, so uh, that allowed us to learn a lot about uh, the pain points in the, uh, the, the the practice session that had you know, pretend candidates and so on. Um, uh, it, I mean, yeah, if you were voting at eleven o'clock at night, you were sort of yeah on your own. But you could save as far as you'd gone and come back later and complete. Um, uh, so uh, that that was about as, as as good as we could do. Uh, yeah, I think you had twenty four hours to to come back and and finish. Your vote, and you could pause for five minutes and uh, go and find someone to maybe help. You know, there weren't, you know, we weren't encountering technical issues. Uh, that I guess mainly would be uh, people's uh, you know, difficulties understanding or op operating the service. But look, this was an optional thing. You could still. Um, uh, we may have actually had uh, in that election that you could ring up and someone would transcribe your vote as well. That's certainly what the federal uh, government has done for the last few elections, even though they had an accessible version before. So you'd speak to an electoral official, they'd have someone shadowing them, and they would take your details and, and take your vote. And the other official would watch to make sure that the vote was being corrected. But still, you know, you had to have the shame of telling someone that might sound like they were more right-wing than you the way you were voting. So, yeah, thank you. Hey, Tim. Um, thanks for your talk. Um, just wondering, did you do um, much usability testing for this project? And if so, like, what were some of the findings that you, you kind of came up with that were interesting? Yep. Uh, yes, we, 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 we did early prototyping, prototyping where we uh, used text-to-speech to generate the female and male voices and we brought people in and did um, observational thinking out loud type studies. You know, here's what you're trying to do, uh, wh what's going on here, are you confused, why, why, why did you push that button, that sort of thing. Of course with speech recognition, just as an aside, um, uh, the thinking out loud technique uh, is a lot more challenging because there's always listening going on in many instances. Um, we, I, 
I guess, yeah, I, I'd like to say that a lot of, most of the feedback that came in was of stuff that we already knew about because we knew we couldn't do it due to technical constraints or, or, or whatever. Um, I, in fact, uh, the next point, in fact, is uh, seven, uh, in, in, in fact, some of the, the, the things that people did say they wanted, but a lot of them were there because I had already thought, well, this is what I will need to do to have it uh, working properly. And I had done other systems. The next case study was even earlier. Um, and we got a lot of feedback from blind people that I fed into to this one. So uh, I'll come back to that as well. Um, okay, so TNN. Uh, that stands for, well, they used to think when I was at Vision Australia or Royal Blind Society, as it was then, that that stood for Tim Noonan's News. But no, it's today's news now. And uh, the need here was that people who were blind couldn't read the newspaper. And that, uh, not being able to read the newspaper probably seems like a positive for many of us. <laughs> but um, nevertheless, uh, the reality is that if you, this is in 1997, so a long time ago, uh, but still features in here that I, that, that we don't see in our current modern uh, intelligent assistance, which is why I'm, I'm showing it to you, uh, demonstrating it to you. So um, if you can't read the newspaper, you can't have social conversations on the train or the bus with people about what's going on because you haven't read the article in the Herald or uh, the Telegraph and you don't know what those issues are. Uh, people who use TNN were people like Graham Innes, the Disability Discrimination Commissioner former, uh, Professor Ron McCallum, who uh, some of you may know, and the, these are uh, prominent people who are supposed to know what's going on. They, they both have a legal background, so, uh, uh, and, and they're very interested in, in politics and you know, labor law and so on. So um, uh, people uh, would say, well, you can use, you can listen to two, Radio 2 RPH, Radio for the Print Handicapped. Uh, I used to be on the board of it. And what they do is they read the newspaper. So it's retired people mostly who, come in and they go, oh, I like this article, I'll read that. Oh, this article's interesting. I'll just skip the middle paragraph because it's a bit complicated and we haven't got time because we've, we've only got half an hour to read the Sydney Morning Herald, so we'll just read these snippets. And they would read it at, yeah, between 9 and 12 at Dave, well, you're at work between 9 and 12. And then it would be played back again that night between 6 and 9. And look, I'm not criticising that service. It's fantastic for people who want to be able to turn the radio on and hear what's going on and hear the newspaper, but it doesn't allow you to choose what you read when you read, uh, or to check particulars. So today's news now is designed to uh, fully automated, uh, avoid all of those problems. So um, let me just, uh, first of all, tell you, this is again is a, is a menu-based system. So we created a menu tree, and sometimes you've got to sort of create a structure for your data. We got the newspapers from Fairfax and from News Limited as uh, SGML and then later XML files that were FTP'd to us at 4 a.m. And then we had this uh, rather humongous Perl script that would run through them and uh, extract those articles and put them into an access database. So each article had its fields and was in a database. And that was the back end. And we'd keep the back end very separate from the front end. Then on the front end, we'd have uh, the telephone service. And you'd ring up and it would, uh, you'd log in. And, and the reason you'd log in was because it would allow you to save articles of interest. It would remember where you had read up to the last call so that you didn't have to hear articles twice. Uh, so it was very time efficient. And it would say, you know, for today's papers, press one. For yesterday's papers, press two. The papers were available from 5 a.m. So you had, had a head start on your uh, <laughs> colleagues, which, was, uh, which was, was quite nice, I think. Um, and... Uh, 
basically this is what um, uh, it, it sounded like when you read it. We had voice forms as well, and I've just uh, way gone over time, but uh, not over time, but we've run out of time for some things I wanted to talk about. Uh, so here we go, let's listen to this. For the guide with 42 unread articles, press five. Okay, so that was the, head, the menu which had all the sections in it, and now? The guide selected, headlines, radio, voices of a generation. Now I've chosen the first article because it was about voices, and I'm all about voices. And uh, then... Headline, Voices of a Generation. Subheading, Radio. By Sue James. Josh Zepps is an extraordinary... And so it goes, you might have noticed the voice got faster. So we had voice fonts. You could have the menu at one speed and the article at another speed or a different pitch so that you could have a bit more context awareness of where you were. Uh, you could review that article. You could move by paragraphs, by sentences. You could check the spelling of a word. Now we had... I had about, oh gosh, a thousand lines of regular expressions for parsing phone numbers and pronunciations for place names and compound words to make things a bit more natural on the ear. Um, we, for example, you'd be reading an article and they go, you know, here's the latest news on the Grand Prix. And it was like, oh, I think that's meant to be the Grand Prix. We might just fix that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had a feedback system. You see there's a voicemail and people would ring up and go, oh, hi, Tim. Um, just been reading an article on Lawn Bowls and it keeps talking about the game of bowels. Do you think you could fix that for us? <laughs> and it's like, yep, sure. Um, so, um, look, this was, you know, these are long session systems. They're things where you are uh, focused, you're concentrating, and you aren't just asking a single. So, you know, being able to save your articles, to be able to, to move through and skip through the boring stuff, that's what blind people want. And my real point is that for sighted people, in the future, as we start to move more in, in, you know, in car entertainment, uh, where you're not supposed to be looking at your phone or touching your phone, how are we going to be able to allow people to have this richness of navigation, this ability to, um, to uh, access complex data structures? That's not anything that's happening at the moment. And yeah, I'm hoping that down the track, some of that will. Yeah, these technologies don't really exist anymore. Uh, I don't have the source code for today's news now. And I wanted to share some of those features with you, um, just uh, so that uh, you know, some of the wisdom is, uh, I guess, not lost. Um, so um, we are... Um, okay, so you see we asked some of the features. Um, uh, I've really demonstrated most of the things that people wanted. They wanted to be able to continue on where they left off. They wanted to be able to check the particulars. Um, People want to be able to adjust the speed. They want to be able to skip the boring stuff. Um, voice fonts uh, are great for context. Um, uh, feedback facilities, so they can let you know when they don't like something so that you can fix it. Um, and we were compliant with the Australian standard as well. We had a we, yeah, we used techn this technology for uh, a library catalog system where you could browse books uh, and for a range of other uh, systems such as job search. So we were with yeah, mycareer.com.au, we'd scrape off that with their permission and let people search for uh, advertisements and so on. So um, now let's move to the, the close. Uh, basically technology, voice technology, is starting to uh, blend with humanity. It's getting to the point where it's really hard to tell when you're hearing a human and when you're hearing a person. And uh, we now have technologies for adding a smile to a voice recording 
or taking a smile away from a voice recording. You know, we know that when you uh, see someone and they smile, that you are likely to sympathetically smile in return and response to them. Um, so our challenge is that we need to be respectful when we use voice technologies. We need to honour the emotions of the person. And any of us who are involved in these services really need to make sure that we're going to be uh, using voice ethically with integrity. I've run out of time. Thank you so much for uh, attending. I do hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you for listening to this presentation from UX Australia 2018. For more presentations, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.